This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm your host, Katie Olmstead, and if you've been a regular listener throughout this season of the podcast, you'll remember we've been highlighting family connections that have led many of Ohio's educators into the profession. On this episode, we're bringing you the final installment in that special A Legacy of Education series, sitting down with Terry and Tara Johnson. Terry retired in the late 90s after teaching for many years in elementary schools in Columbus City Schools. Her daughter Tara is now in her second year of teaching African American Studies and Modern World History at Eastmore Academy High School in Columbus. Tara actually came to teaching in high school as her second career after being an educator and administrator at the higher ed level for years. For Tara Johnson, there was something inevitable about ending up in the high school classroom. Her mom, dad, and great aunt were all teachers, and teaching was really just in her blood. Tara and her mom, Terry, join us for this episode to share their thoughts. Terry Johnson, Tara Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down together to share your thoughts with us. This is the final installment in the Legacy of Education special mini-series throughout this season of the podcast. And it is just such a great opportunity for us to really explore how it is you ended up in the education profession and the ties, (laughs) the family ties that made that happen. Now, when we were sitting down to talk, Tara, I said, So what made you follow Terry into the profession? And you corrected me. It wasn't Terry that you followed into the profession. What can you tell me? I followed my father. He was a high school physical education teacher. And I followed him into high school. Oh, he also taught health um, and he was part of recreation. He was a coach. Uh, He coached basketball for many years at Roosevelt Middle School. Junior high school junior high school. And I followed him into education because my mother told me um, when I thought about going into education, (laughs) she told me that that I would not make enough money to maintain the lifestyle that she knew I would become accustomed to. (laughs) So, (laughs) So Terry, what did you want Tara to do? I wanted Tara to do whatever made her happy (laughs) and wasn't sure education would make her happy. However, because of the history of education in my family and her father's family, uh, it was inevitable. So she tried to stay away. (laughs) So my original degree from Central State University is in finance. And so I was a university administrator and in finance on the finance side for about 20 years. And I got tired of it and decided to go into K-12. Why make that transition? I, I just, I was bored. I was, I was serious. You can only crunch numbers for so long. And I had done other stuff in between, you know, and I, and I wanted to, as I say, I wanted to play with the kids. Um, I also realized that when an administrator tells you the same thing that a 15-year-old tells you, 
you understand why the admit, why the 15 year old says something to you because you know they're young and inexperienced but when an administrator tells you something crazy you're like okay I can't <laughs> this anymore <laughs> so I and I realized that I liked the students and them more than I liked adults so I decided to play with the kids and it's fun <laughs> yeah but Terry, you played with the the kid kids. You were an elementary teacher before you retired, right? I was. What did you love about teaching? I loved the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I shared this a lot with Tara. Um, I liked talking with them. I liked listening to them talk. I liked watching them work, all the little maneuvers that they went through when they were working. I, I like the fact that, and I worked with first grade, I taught third grade for quite a few years. And then I taught first grade. And then I went into the reading program where I, I was helping the students that were having difficulty with reading in the, in the title program. And I did that as I was, um, re before I retired. And I, I just enjoyed the age. I enjoyed watching them, watching their little minds work and watching them, you know, light that that light bulb went off. And that was what I that was what I worked for. And that's what I love. I love the light bulb moments where they're like, I get it. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. <laughs> oh, that was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and even and even as a senior advisor, watching them have fun that I, I love that part, too. So, yeah. Well, Tara, you mentioned it's that was hard. You're in the second year of your K-12 career, and these are hard years for any educator. Are you able to lean on your parents to, to help you, to, I guess, maybe fortify you through the hard times and, and get the advice you need to get through it? Uh, my father passed away about a year ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, um, thank you. And so I come home every day asking him questions. And my parents retired 25 years ago in 1998. So me asking them questions and they looking at me like, I don't know. I don't remember. I guess so. <laughs> um, or yes, do this, do this, do this. Or here, do this. So I relied on my dad a whole lot um, when he was alive. And I would ask him questions and he would answer them all. He was patient and willing to answer them all. Um, even when it comes to CEA and OEA and NEA, they were able to answer all of my questions like, you need to do this. And when we went on strike at the beginning of the year, they were like, you go out there and you walk that picket line with them. Because I was an administrator, so I was I had sat on the other side, so I didn't understand the union side of it, and they were the ones who helped me understand the union side, and I was appreciative of that. So everything from attendance to the union to classroom management, they helped me with. Harry, if you retired in the late 90s, I bet a lot has changed about how classrooms are managed <laughs> now. I mean, the technology alone is very, very different. What is, what is it like for you hearing what Tara's every day is like now? 
there's quite a lot of technology involved today, um, a whole lot more than when I started teaching. When I started teaching, <laughs> we had right, we had a mimeograph machine that you hand cranked. Of course, I I did move on to the better machines, but it was also like um, the equipment in your classroom was a tape recorder, a record player. Uh, and then we kind of evolved to a little bit more sophistication. And I did do some substitute teaching after I retired. And it was the, the whiteboard, not the whiteboard, smart the smart board. And um, I just knew that my even my subbing days were coming to an end because the, the equipment was smarter than I was. And <laughs> I uh, didn't think that I would be able to uh, I've had at, people ask me to go back and and sub, and I don't think that I would feel comfortable subbing with the technology. It's just it's that has really changed. The students are still the same. Tara, do you think the students are still the same? We're hearing it's been it's been difficult coming out of the pandemic. There's been a lot of extra problems with student behavior. Um, you know, anecdotally. Some teachers have told me it feels like the students just didn't socialize. They weren't like socialized during the pandemic and they forget how to act in class. Is that something you're seeing in your school or do you just not have anything to compare that with because you weren't teaching before the pandemic? Um, I had because I was in higher ed. I had the 18 to 24 year olds, so I still had students. Right. They were just older um, and so this is a different breed of students, but it was a different breed of students even prior to the pandemic. I think this new breed of students that's going in um is on more of a survival mode, yeah, and I don't think one of the things that I realized is that k twelve does not have the mental help that it needs. We have social workers trying to fix problems that we really need psychologists and sociologists um, and therapists to do. And they just don't have the capabilities. And my other concern is, is that are there enough of those people getting degrees to help everybody that needs the help that's out there. Um, the mental health field is starting to look like the education field and there are just not enough people out there to help everybody that needs to be helped. And I think that's one of our biggest problems in K-12. We have kids who need mental health and you're asking teachers to do that along with feed them, clothe them, and do everything else. And I think that's the biggest problem that we have in K-12 is the mental health challenge that's out there. And that same problem with, with attracting and retaining people to the education profession as there is in attracting and, and retaining people in the mental health profession, that means more of a workload for the educators who are in the schools who are trying to do the jobs of many people at the same time, right? Yes, very much so. Very much so. 
Terry, was it like that when you were teaching? Not, not to the extent that it is today. We had issues with children who needed to be um, identified and given help. And you do the, re, you know, you do the usual, write them up, talk to other people, talk to parents, you know, talk to the support people that are there. And of course, there's never enough uh, support to help, whether it's the counselor or um, most of the time in the schools and elementary schools, there are there's only a counselor to to catch every every child. And mm -hmm. sometimes the counselor isn't even assigned to your school every day of the week. So there are there are there have always been staffing issues and there have always been children who have serious needs. I think one of the perennial staffing issues throughout the history of education um, is that we don't have a workforce that looks like the students we're serving. Um, in Ohio, overwhelmingly, the education workforce is female and white when our students are not necessarily looking like that. I think we have about 17% of students in Ohio are Black but only 4% of teachers are. Both of you are, are African-American women. What is it like for you to see sort of that stagnation where we have still overwhelmingly white female teachers in the classrooms? And what does that mean for the students? They don't see themselves. I have had students who will respond to me in a totally different way that they respond to the white teachers because they know that, that I'm not going, that's not going to happen. You're not going to do that to me. And you're not going to say that to me. And they know that. Um, in Columbus City Schools, our African-American population is 65%, but we only have 19% of African-American uh, teachers. That's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And they're not recruiting the way they need to. You have an HBCU around the corner and you're not recruiting from that HBCU who has a college of education. You know, we when I was at Central State University getting my degree in education, there were 10 graduates and 22 schools from all over the country. These kids at the students at Central State University had the pick of whatever state they wanted to go to and whatever school system they wanted to go to. We're not even keeping our teachers in the state of Ohio, and that's problematic. But it also goes back to, are we recruiting teachers in elementary, middle, and high school? We have to convince these students to become teachers in elementary school, in high school. And then there are people who want to become teachers as a second career, like me, but the pathway to do that is too strenuous. They have to stop working the student teach for 12 weeks. No, student teaching should be a paid internship, just like it is for people who have a degree in finance, who have a degree in computer science, who have a degree in business. You shouldn't have to stop working and do a free internship for 12 weeks. I'm not saying taking student teaching away because I think that is mandatory. You need that experience. 
And student teaching isn't even half of what you experience as a first year teacher, but it needs to be paid. Right. I need some money. I want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned, which is about recruiting in elementary school. And that, again, comes back to having people who look like you in the school so you can see yourself in that role. Terry, when you were teaching elementary schoolers, did you get a sense of like, wow, that kid is going to be a great teacher someday? And did you tell that kid? Actually, it was possible to see students who would become good teachers. They were leaders in the classroom. They uh, maybe took charge of duties with more sincerity. And when I was teaching elementary school, there were a lot of kids that would say, I want to be a teacher. It wasn't hard to, uh, to encourage them, at least not for me, maybe because I was an African-American teacher teaching African-American children. They could see me. They could see principals who were African-American uh, and also the support staff that they could see would be African-American in a lot of cases. So they had more opportunities at uh, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And I think that helped, even though the farther the farther back I go, the earlier I teach, there would maybe be one or two other African-American teachers in the, in the school that I taught at, uh, especially when I was not in Columbus. When I was in Columbus, there were more African-American teachers in elementary school than um, there are now. That's interesting. I was going to say, based on the stats that Tara shared, there's still a long way to go. But um, based on what you just said there, Terry, it seems like we were in a better place and now there's even more work to do. Is that right? That's my opinion, yes. I don't have any statistics on that, but that's my opinion. Just just what you were seeing from your own experience, yeah. But even when I was at Central State in the 90s, for the first time, yeah. The when I yeah the when I was at Central State the first time in the nineties, there would be like five hundred students in our College of Education. Right now, we probably have about one hundred and fifty to two hundred students in our College of Education. So the problem is not just recruiting students, but our problem is also is our problem is not graduating but recruiting. Right. If you have five students to pick from, then yeah, but now there's only 150, you know, and one of the things that I think is, is that growing up education was a safe job. And as African-Americans, we might not have been able to work in the business field or be a scientist. So we would go into education. But now I think with other fields opening up, African-Americans are saying, I don't have to do that. But the problem is, is that they still want their children to be educated by African-Americans, but they don't have to go into that field. And that's become problematic. You want, everybody wants their child to have a diverse population, but you don't want to be the one to go into that diverse population. Or you don't want your kids to be educators because you don't, you know that they're not going to make any money, you know, and that's problematic. Right. So on this, this one side of the coin where it's great, finally, all of these other careers are opening up for everyone. 
We also need to make sure that this particular career is an attractive, sustainable career for everybody, for every background. And certainly yes. there's a lot of work to do there as well. Yes. Yes. In, in the last few seconds that we have, Tara, what would be your message to your high school students right now or to anybody who's just considering this as a second career? What would you tell them? Do it. It's a whole lot more fun and, and rewarding than you would ever realize. I think about my students more than I, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think about them like, okay, what are we doing next week? All right, let's do this. Or how, what, are we, what fun are we going to have? And what, for, as senior advisor, you know, let's go do this or let's go do that. Or can we do this? Or can we, how much is it going to cost to do this? Or do you want to do this? You know, because I want their senior year to be fun, you know, and I want the freshmen and the sophomores and the juniors to say, oh, I can't wait till I'm a senior. I will do all of that. And then there's the educational part, you know, the the learning like, hey, did y'all know this? Did y'all know this? And what they get excited about. Next week, we're uh, my class is doing presentations on African-American and Latina uh, inventors. And they're just excited. They're like, oh, did you know so, so, such and such invented this? Really? Well, tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> so just to see their, the, the reward that comes with teaching outweighs everything else. Everything else. And our students need great teachers who feel that reward. Yes. Yes. Tara Johnson and Terry Johnson, a mother-daughter duo in education. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. Thank you. Are you. welcome. Thank you for having us. OEA is awesome. Now, Terry Johnson mentioned in this episode that she considered coming out of retirement to substitute teach, but decided against it. Next week, we're hearing from a teacher who came out of retirement to teach again full-time because he saw the need in his school. Remember, new episodes of Education Matters drop every Thursday, and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay well.